Thank you, choir, so much. Let's stand, please. And we have another selection, 720. 720, Jesus loves even me. Aren't you glad of that today? Amen. Jesus Amen. loves even me. 720, let's sing. We'll shake hands just a minute. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Instruments play, let's welcome each other this morning. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Just let that sink in. The Lord forgives and He restores. Aren't you glad? We all need it. We all need to remember that uh, no matter what we've done or how far we've gone away, His grace is sufficient. Thank you, Jessica. Galatians 4. Pick up the reading in verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Wow. I've got a, a, a title that you might not get till we get into the sermon, but I know you will when we do. And here's my thought. One way, but many participants. Okay. One way, we're talking about salvation, but many participants. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth we just heard in song. Lord, of how you are willing to forgive and restore. And uh, no matter how far, as you tell us about the prodigal son, we get away from you, but uh, Lord, you'll receive us willingly, openly. You've been planning, uh, Lord, when we wander, that you, you come to us and you speak to us through a song, through your word, through your spirit, through someone so through an event or a crisis, Lord, you're always reaching out to your children. Thank you for that. Now, Lord, maybe there's someone here today that knows not Jesus as Savior, or maybe there's someone here today that, Lord, is dealing with some issues of heart. I pray, dear Holy Spirit, you'd apply the message as you will. Help me to be used of you, I pray. Lord, be with our other services today. Please be with the children and the workers. Please be with the deaf church and Brother Ken as he breaks the word of life to them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we all know we live in a, in a world that has many religions, many different ways that people are trying to uh, reach heaven or forgiveness or, uh, or, or, or God in, in their way, in their thinking. So with these many religions, there are many ways that religions will say that a soul can be saved. They will also say there are, they are one of many ways to reach salvation. One of many ways to make heaven at the end of their life. But the major problem with that idea or that religious philosophy, it's not biblical. It's not true. Without a doubt, the scriptures are clear to say that Jesus is the one 
and only way to salvation. Now, we that are saved, we know that. We get that. We say, oh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a given. That's ABCs. But we live in a world that doesn't know that. And we live in a world where Christians get saved, but they're not discipled, and they don't go forth. And so they forget these truths of the Bible, and they start taking on the world's philosophies and the world's ideas of religion and God. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is the only way. In John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Of course, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9, Paul wrote that, uh, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. John three thirty six. But he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Acts ten forty three. To him give all the prophets witness. That's Jesus. That through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Romans 3 and verse 22 Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no, no difference. Now, folks, we could go on and on and on, and I could share with you all these verses. They say the same thing, that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven, to salvation. Amen. But I do understand there be only one way to a Savior, Jesus Christ. But I want to emphasize something here this morning I think is important. There are many participants in salvation. Many people that God will send our way. Many people that God uses to bring people to forgiveness of sins and soul salvation. I want to investigate this thought today of many participants. One Savior, many participants. And the first one I want us to notice is the ultimate participant in man's salvation. And that's this, the Father's position in salvation. God the Father... He planned our salvation. The Bible says in, in Ephesians 1.4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God in his sovereignty and God in his love knew that mankind needed redemption. And he gave the plan. He gave it through the Old Testament, through the prophets. We saw last week, talking about Abraham offering up his son Isaac, that God was showing them an illustration of what Jesus would be, the Savior of the world. In Genesis 22, 8, and Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. The God-man Jesus became the lamb slain. Amen. And the son offered to purchase soul redemption. So we see the first participant in salvation's plan is God the Father. He devised the plan. He brought it to fruition. 
He uh, offered forgiveness and redemption through his son, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The father chose Jesus. He chose that he would come, amen, and be raised on a cross. He'd die in our stead on Calvary. And he would be the one that would wipe away our sin debt through his work on that same cross. In John's gospel, chapter 3, let me read for you, verse 16 and 17, these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved through Jesus Christ. That's the Father's plan. We go into the New Testament, many other of the epistles, but I just choose Ephesians chapter 1. It says this, To the praise and the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us acceptable in the beloved. I'm acceptable to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Praise God. The Father did the reconciling for me and for you because of our sins through his plan. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.19, to wit that God was in Christ, listen, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Though God made peace through his son for us with him. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're brought back into a relationship with God that was lost in our, our, our parents, Adam and Eve, and their sin in the garden. So through God's plan and through his putting his son on the cross and through Jesus Christ dying on that tree, you and I have been reconciled. We're, we're made at peace with God again, friends with God again. Amen. Then he commits now to us the ministry of reconciliation. He sends us out to tell others lost in sin, hey, uh, we, he uses our words, our testimony, our salvation story to share with them how they have hope in Jesus Christ too if they don't repent of their sins and receive him by faith into their heart and life. So the first participant in salvation for man is God the Father. The second participant, of course, is the Son. The son's uh, position in salvation is, is seen in the word of God in many places. But Luke 19.10 tells us very clearly, it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was the chosen Savior, but he willingly came. He willingly was obedient to his Father to become the sacrifice for all of our sins. We heard last week in 1 John 2, 2, it comes up again in our thought. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm glad that Jesus came in obedience to God the Father's plan. And he became propitiation. He became covering. His blood atoned for my sins and your sins, and the sins of the whole world. The whole world has opportunity of a Savior. John 3, 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world through him might be saved. And Jesus came willingly. He came obediently like the text in Genesis 22 where, where uh, Abraham's offering up his son and his son willingly submits to the father. He was a grown man. 
And he didn't, it didn't make sense to him, but he willingly obeyed his father and, and offered himself on that altar. Oh, Jesus willingly came to Calvary, laid down his life. No one forced him. He laid down and became our sacrifice for sin. And, and he became our ransom. The word ransom means price paid for freedom. In Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and he gave his life a ransom for many. 1 Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That word ransom there means something given in exchange for another. It means a price of redemption being paid. It was used to pay for slaves or captives. It was a price paid to set them free. And that's a picture and a type of what Jesus had done for all mankind. God has given all mankind the opportunity to be set free, liberated from their bondage. Another definition of ransom means to liberate many from misery and the penalty of, of sin. That's illustrated in the Old Testament. Remember Hosea the prophet, God told him to marry a woman of harlot, a woman of whoredoms. Her name was Gomer in the scriptures, and Hosea married her, and she ran off and had other lovers. Terrible, terrible story of hurt and pain. And she left her husband and went with other men, according to the scriptures. She had children, and uh, Hosea's home was broken up, and his heart was broken too. But he never lost his love for her. He never forgot about her. Hosea chapter 3 and verse 2 says, So I bought, brought her uh, to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and a homer of uh, half homer of barley. What that was, back in that day, they would take everybody that was indentured and they'd bring them to that market and they would take the bids and somebody would take off uh, a slave to work with them the rest of their days or until the debt was paid. And here, a man who loved his wife, although she was unfaithful, he went and paid the price to redeem her, to rescue her, bring her back home, and give her her freedom again. And we know that she kept going back into sin and breaking his heart. But God's picture there is of Hosea willing to go and pay the price. Hosea 3.3, and he said unto her, Thou shalt abide with me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be... For another man, so will I also be for thee. That was a picture of God, Jehovah, and his, his people Israel. How they were unfaithful and they went to other gods and other loves. And God kept coming back and forgiving them and paying the redemption of their, 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 their price for their sin. And, and they, it, he'd bring them back unto himself. And then they'd go again out and be unfaithful to God. And oh, can't you see, sometimes we're, we're unfaithful to God. Although Jesus Christ has saved the soul, sometimes we go off in that world and we live according to the world and the dictates of the world and we do as we please and instead of honoring God, instead of obeying God, instead of loving God. But yet God forgives and restores, but it's all through the precious blood of Jesus that was shed one time on the cross of Calvary. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a God. What a God. What a Savior. Amen. Redemption. 
is losing something or losing someone and someone comes and pays the price to restore it, to purchase it back, that which was formerly owned, a price paid for a necessary return, and that price was done through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. All through the Old Testament, we don't have time this morning, but they're biblical examples of this redemption, this ransom. The firstborn was redeemed according to Exodus 13, Numbers chapter 3, and that was five silver shekels was the price to redeem a, a newborn child brought into the world. Because David said, in, in, in sin did my mother conceive me, so mankind is born with a sin nature. Money was paid to deliver someone from the penalty of death. It was done in a price by a near kinsman or a goel, it's called in the Hebrew, restoring a family inheritance. And that's an example of Ruth in the Old Testament, how her husband, Mylon, had passed away and Boaz steps up at the right time, pays the redemption price, and Ruth becomes his bride. What a picture of what Jesus has done for us in salvation. He has become our goel. He shed his blood. He paid the price that we might have eternal life. Amen. These are, these are all through the scripture. It shows us that Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law and the curse of sin. He became our substitute. He became uh, his life for our ransom. He died for sinners. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I tell you what, that verse was used in Sunday school, and I've used it three times. I think God's trying to say something to us today. Gave his life a ransom. He came to die for me, for you, for all. And so we see there's one salvation, one Savior, one way to heaven, but we see there are many participants. First the Father, then the Son. Let me tell you about another one, the Holy Spirit's position in salvation. He's another participant. Go to John chapter 16, if you wouldn't mind, please, in your Bible. John chapter 16, we're going to read about the ministry of the Holy Spirit briefly. But I want you to know that God, the Holy Spirit, was involved in my salvation and yours. He is a participant in bringing lost sinners to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 16, in verse 7, we read, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, the Lord's getting ready to leave his disciples and he said, I got something better for you. What, Lord, you're the best. No, I got something better for you. I go away and I bring someone to you, the comforter, one of the same kind, one who comes alongside. Amen. And the Bible says in verse 8, and when he has come, what will he do? What will the Holy Spirit do? And when he has come, he will, uh, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He is a participant in salvation. God, the Holy Spirit, is used to convict of sin. You know what man needs? He needs to be convicted of his sin. See, that's the problem with religion. Religion is just kind of, a, it's a sham. It, it's a, it's a cover-up. Uh, it, it's um, it, it's uh, what, what, 
I'm, I'm thinking of a word. When you put a paneling on a wall or you're decorating something, it's a facade. Man's always trying to cover his sin, and he does it with religion. I'll just become religious. I'll go to church every once in a while. I'll do what this church tells me to do, my good works, and I'll go to confession, and I'll, I'll be baptized as a baby or as an adult. I'll do all this stuff, and none of that saves. It's repentance. It's turning from sin and turning to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and his work on Calvary's cross. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict men of their sin. That man wakes up and says, you know what? I'm a sinner and I'm in trouble. I need a savior. The Holy Spirit comes to convince mankind of their sinful condition. Jesus said in John 16, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. I'm so glad for the day. Listen, I'm glad today I got saved. But let me tell you, before I got saved, I'm glad for the day the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. That has to be. Without repentance, there's no remission of sin. And man has to come to the place where he understands, I'm a sinner before a holy God, and I need a Savior. I'm so glad for God's working in my life before I was saved, kept convicting me, convicting me, convicting me, convincing me that I needed to be saved. Oh, and I was on my way to true faith in Jesus Christ. I remember just asking to forgive me of my sins and come in the heart and save my soul and change my life. And boy, he did it. But there was a participant involved, the person of the Holy Spirit. He was taking the word of God, which I heard preached, and applying it to my heart. He pointed to Jesus, not himself. He pointed to Jesus Christ and said, Steve Brown, that's what you need. You need Jesus in your heart and your life. I'm so glad for the songs this morning, Tom. Lifting up the name of Jesus. If you're here today and you're just religious, you're in trouble. If you're just a member of a church, you're in trouble. If you have a denominational tag that you're counting on, you're in trouble. You need a Savior, and he's Jesus Christ. You need to be convicted of your sin and convinced by the Holy Spirit that you need Jesus. He says he will reprove the world. The word re reprove, again, means to convince, to tell one one's fault. I have been so winning before and spoke to someone and Tried to get them to see they were a sinner. And, and, and every time, just about, I'll say, now, are you a sinner? Well, of course I'm a sinner. I do wrong. Everybody does wrong. They get that far. But then they won't make the next step of turning from their sin and turning from Christ. Oh, I wonder how many people were so close to being saved. They know they're sinners, but they will not turn from their sin and turn to Christ. It's the Holy Ghost's job to bring that about. I don't save anybody. This church saves no one. Amen. I, I've seen that in new converts. They'll get saved and they'll stand up and say, oh, I'm so glad the pastor saved me. <laughs> I know what they mean. They're glad they're saved, but I didn't save anybody. No man can. Jesus Christ is the one who saves. And the Holy Spirit says, look to him. Amen. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to regenerate the believer. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
But according to his mercy, he saves us. Listen, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The word regeneration is new birth. It's recreation. It's the being born again part of salvation. I'm so glad that I got born again. And when I got born again, I knew it. And I began to change. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all things are become new. Not all of a sudden you're new, but it's a process. You start walking like Christ, following Christ, obeying the word. Amen. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Convicting and convincing and actually converting us, bringing us to a place of salvation through regeneration. Amen. The Holy Ghost comes to seal the deal. Ephesians 4.30. Oh, this is good. And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sealed. I'm so saved. It's pitiful. I, God has been so good to me. You know, uh, Bill's here. Bill Kokanis, he sells homes. Uh, uh, Bartson, is Barton? He, he sells homes. Different men are in the real estate business. And you know, when, you, when you're looking for a home, you see something. Well, oh, I like that home. And the realtor like Bill could say, hey, you, put, you, you better put something down on that. It's called earnest money. Amen. A down payment. And what is that down payment? It's saying, I, I want this and I want to finish the transaction. So God has given us his Holy Spirit, the down payment, and said, I will finish this transgression. Amen. So he puts within us. The Holy Spirit, he abides in us. And one day when we do die or he comes to get us through the rapture, it's completed. But in the mind of God, it's already happened. Ye are seated in, Christ, in, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Woo! But that's, again, the work of the Holy Spirit. So God the Father is a participant in our salvation. God the Son is a participant in our salvation. God the Holy Spirit is participant in our salvation. Amen. I got so many notes, I'm just going to pass them by here. But God sealed our salvation by the power and authority of the Spirit. And now I belong to Jesus. The songwriter said, I belong to the King. I'm a child of his love. I shall dwell in his palace so fair. For he tells me of his bliss in yon heaven above. And his children in splendor shall say in Israel. The refrain says, I belong to the king. I'm a child of his love, and he never forsaketh his own. He will call me someday to his palace above. I shall dwell by his glorified throne. All that's because of the Holy Spirit's work. In my heart, your heart, amen. But that's not the only participants. There's more. I'll tell you another participant in salvation, the Bible. The Bible is a participant in salvation. The Bible is necessary for salvation. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I can't have faith without the word of God. That's why it's good for us to send Bibles to the missionaries. It's good for us to help the Hispanic church there in Richmond, Virginia, sending the word of God, because it's the word of God with the Holy Spirit of God that will convict and convince and bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. 
You know, we often think it's our outline or our Sunday school lesson or as soul winners, the way we present it. And that's all fine and good. But this is the book of God. This is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll do what we cannot do. So don't give opinion. Give the word. Show them the word. Nobody gets saved outside of the word of God. Preach to them. Uh, Share it with them. They hear it. They read it. Somebody shares the word of God. It's the word of God that goes forth in power and brings conviction to the heart of man. The Bible is necessary. No faith without the word of God. The Bible is what God uses to search the heart. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints of the marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God know, you know, we look at it. Somebody says, well, if I know my heart, you don't. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And the Holy Spirit takes the word and drives it to our heart. I'm glad for the preaching of God's word. It spoke to my heart and it still does today. The Bible converts an individual soul. We're told in 1 Peter 1 in verse 23. Listen to what he says. 123. Being born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. I'm so glad for my Bible. I'm so glad for the word. That God, that God gave the word. That God inspired the word. That God preserved the word. For all generations, so I could hear it, so you could hear it, so the lost can hear it, and God the Holy Spirit and the Word of God takes it to the heart of man and brings soul salvation. Amen. So what another participant is? The Bible. The Bible. Give you another one. The church's position in salvation. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I tarry long, Paul says, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of truth. The church is important in God's plan of salvation in this way. The church saves no one. But the church takes the message of salvation and spreads it to all the world. The church has been given the, the commission of the Lord. Folks, this is for us, Matthew 20. Uh, 28, 18, and 19, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me. That word power means authority. All authority, all power is given me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. You say, Preacher, why do you always stress baptism? Because Jesus told us to do it. To go and baptize and then disciple converts. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even the end of the world. Amen. If you're sitting out here and you still haven't been scripturally baptized, listen, friend, you'll never grow like God would have you grow until you take that first step of obedience in being baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Proclaim it openly. And I'll tell you what. God will help you. Hey, I know, friend, I, I paused for a while when I first got saved. I, I thought I was okay because I was infant baptized. But it wasn't my parents' deal. It wasn't my church. It was my faith that I needed to pronounce, announce, declare. 
And boy, God, the Holy Spirit seemed like, I don't know, when, in those days I had my Bible next to my bed stand every night. It was almost like I had this thing. If I didn't read my Bible, it was, it was scary. It was not good. I, I feared it. I, I don't know what that was. But, but I always read my Bible at night. And it seemed like I would read my Bible and there would be a text about baptism. And I wasn't scripturally baptized, so the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. And then a, a night or two later, it seemed like every time I opened the Bible, it was dealing with baptism. And I was afraid to be baptized. I didn't want to offend my parents because they, oh, you've already been baptized. Anybody ever had those thoughts before? You know, I didn't want to offend. And then I thought, well, what's the big deal? You know, I, I, but the Bible says baptism is for believers, not for babies who don't know what they're doing. And it's after salvation, not before. And finally, that conviction, that conviction, and I, I said, preacher, I need to be scripturally baptized. By not sprinkling something on my head or pouring something on my head. Baptism, the word itself, means to dip, to submerge. And it's a picture of Jesus dying and then being buried and then rising again the third day according to the scriptures. Scriptural baptism is that, not this other stuff. And so I had to come and say, I need to be scripturally baptized. And when I did that, listen, listen, you, some, I might have three or four of you out here, you've not been scriptually baptized. You need to do that because I'll tell you what, you, you, your, your life will begin to grow and open up because you've been obedient to God's word. The first step of obedience for any Christian is believer's baptism, declaring your faith in Jesus Christ, and you'll be amazed how much you'll grow. And so the church's position is carrying out that commission. We're told in Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what all this stuff's about here, to get us to go fishing again, to give out the gospel. And it always will not be received. I told you last week I was turned down pretty quick by a, a young man named Daniel I was talking to. That's going to happen. But every once in a while, you're going to run into somebody and say, you know, I've been thinking about this. Amen. You're going to knock on a door and it's going to be the right time. Listen, our command is to go and keep going and keep going and keep telling. That's the church's participation with the gospel and with salvation of souls. Amen. The church is the guardian of the gospel. In, in Jude, mercy unto you, verse 2, and peace and love be multiplied. Listen. Verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, he goes on and says, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. That's our job. Church is not sitting in a pew on Sunday and listening to a sermon. We are the church, not the building. And the church needs to be triumphant in its outreach. Do something. Give out a gospel tract. Tell somebody how you came to know the Lord. But get out that message. The church is a participation, a participant in salvation for lost souls. And then this one. The preachers and the witnesses are also participants in soul salvation. I'm so glad somebody witnessed to me. I'm so glad somebody shared Jesus Christ with me. Amen. The scripture says that we're the watchmen. The Old Testament example of this is in the book of Ezekiel. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel 33 and verse 7, the Bible says, So thou, O man of, uh, son of man, I have set thee a watchman into the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them for me. 
Our job as a witness for Jesus Christ, the church's job as a watchman for Jesus Christ, the preacher's job, the soul winner's job is to herald the message, to warn, to pronounce, to lift up our voices. The witness is to preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Three things, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Preaching is not all about, ah. Sometimes it's with tears. Sometimes it's to lift up and to encourage. It's a balanced thing, amen? Too many preachers, they, all they want to do is tell sad stories. I, I, the other day I, was, uh, I, I had had breakfast at a little restaurant. I went to pick up supplies. And by the way, Thank the Lord for Pastor Williams. He took his vacation. I, I, I haven't had any preparation of a fellowship group in a long time. I used to do it all years ago. And just getting the things together for our fellowship group on Friday night, man, I ran over here and I ran over here and I ran over here and I got this and I went in the back and loaded this up. My wife helped me get this and I found, I mean, I was running like a crazy man. And then we had the event. It was wonderful. But then somebody had to clean it up and put it all back. Thank Pastor Williams today. And other departmental leaders that do those fellowships, there's a lot of work involved. Amen. I forgot all about that part. Where was I going? Oh, yeah, I went to pick up supplies at Gordon Food. So I went next door. I hadn't had anything to eat. I had a little breakfast. Started witnessing to the waitress. And all three of them, I gave this girl a gospel tract, and they all went, Phew. you know, these restaurants you go to, and they have a counter. Sometimes it's not good to eat your breakfast there. Because when you're sitting there, they're all talking about the boss and everybody else. It's a gossip area. And I sit there and I think, man, I didn't come to hear this. So usually I'll bring up Jesus or I'll bring up the gospel. And this time I gave a try. And man, they all left. They didn't talk to me the rest of the time. And so when he came back, I said, well, I want to invite you out. I don't have time for church. I, I, I got to work on Sunday. There's always some excuse. But folks, there might be a day that you do that. And say, you know what? I do need this. I told the young man the other day, what about your family? He said, boy, they really need it. But no, no thank you. We're too busy. We don't have time. That's our world today. Too busy for Jesus. Too busy for God. Too busy for church. Too busy. We're just too busy. I'll tell you, there's a day where somebody would not be too busy, and that's the day they, they realize, hey, I'm lost. Amen. But the church, the preacher, the witnesses, we're all preachers, folks. Our job is to warn the wicked of their way, Ezekiel 33. Our job is to preach the word in season, out of season. Our, our job is to show sinners their transgression. Isaiah 58, cry aloud, show their, them their transgressions. The word transgression means an act or a way of living that is against God's law. We live in a world today that's breaking God's law all the time and they don't care our job is to give it out so God the Holy Spirit can work and God the word of God can work and Jesus Christ will work God the Father's his plan is working he's got the church to go out and to bear that news amen lift up your voice saints cry aloud tell people the need of salvation amen and, and listen, when you do preach, if you do mention hell, which is mentioned, Proverbs 15, 11, Proverbs 27, 20, Matthew 5, 22, Matthew 18, 9, Luke 16, 23, hell's mentioned. You, the message is about hell, escape from hell. But don't do it in such a way that you, you act or look like you're happy about it. 
Have a mean spirit, a snarly spirit that you're going to hell. Not, friend, you're going to hell. You need to trust Christ with compassion and urgency, not sounding like we hope they go. There's a difference. Hell is real. It's true. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven, that's for sure. Because he didn't want anybody to go there. He wanted them saved. But let me wrap this up. I could go longer on these points, but I wanted to go to this last point. The sinner's position in salvation. The sinner has a participation in soul salvation. How's that, preacher? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Obviously, before somebody can get the good news, they've got to hear the bad news. And the bad news is they're lost and they need Jesus Christ. The bad news is they're on their way to hell. And they'll not go to heaven without Jesus Christ. Amen? Our job is to herald the message. But it's vital that sinners know and understand their position in salvation. They must, he or she must, see their condition before a holy God. The book of Isaiah, chapter 6, we're told by the prophet. He says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. In verse 5, for time. Then said I, woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Folks, if you're here today and you're not saved, you need to see yourself as what you are. Unsaved. Lost before a holy God. A sinner in need of salvation. You need to see yourself as unclean before God. God is holy. He cannot fellowship with sin. And so he makes us holy through the sacrifice of his son and his shed blood on Calvary. And that's how our sins washed away. And then we can have a relationship with God. And I knew nothing of this, although I was religious in my life. I knew nothing of this. But when I invited Jesus into my heart, the lights came on. The truth dawned in my soul. And I knew there was a difference in me. And there was. Amen. So if you're here today, you're a participant in soul salvation. You have to see yourself as what you are, and that's lost before holy God. And then you must have faith. Hebrews eleven six: without faith is impossible to please God. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You must have faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. You must receive the means of soul salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ, our substitute. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Him. So I'm going to conclude now. We started out with Jesus is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's it. Jesus Christ. Not Buddha. Not Confucius. Not any other world religion. Jesus is it. It's an exclusive faith. Exclusive person. Jesus Christ. God's Son. So we understand that. But listen. 
there are many participants in someone coming to faith. There's God the Father. He planned the salvation. He gave His only begotten Son. There's the Son. He came in obedience to be the sacrifice for sin. There's the Holy Spirit. He came to work and convince and call and, and, and convert people over to Jesus Christ. There's the Word of God that convicts us of our sin too. It points us to our real condition uh, before a holy God. There's the church. And she is supposed to do the witnessing and the professing of the gospel to the four corners of the world. And there's the preachers, the witnesses, who pronounce and preach the truth of the gospel. But there are sinners. Sinners that must accept who they are before God. Lost. Undone. Without God. Sinners must accept the truth. They must receive the gospel by faith. Amen. They must repent of their sin. The word repent doesn't mean boo-hoo, although that comes sometimes. But it means going in one direction and saying, I'm going the wrong way, and turning about and going toward God, and then walking with God in the right direction. That's true repentance. It's turning from sin to God. And you turn to God through believing on His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the plan. That's, the, that's redemption. That's the way to be saved. And so as we close this service this morning, if you're saved, rejoice. Man, we shouldn't come into the church all moping and downhearted and won't sing the songs and have a bad attitude. No, no, no. We're saved. We ought to come in here worshiping God, celebrating, amen, Calvary and Jesus and the resurrection and the, and the fellowship of the saints. I mean, good night. If anybody ought to rejoice, it's us. Say, preacher, we got so many things in our life and so many hurts. I know that, but we got somebody who said, I'll never lead me or forsake me. We got a comforter that's there to help us. I mean, I know life gets hard, but God's always available. But when you live your life on your own, never asking God to forgive or help or, or never worshiping and never entering into what He wants for our life, then we are on our own. Saved, but living like we're not. Saints, rejoice. Amen. And serve your Lord out of a grateful heart. If you're lost here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, recognize today that you need him. And come as quick as you can, and we will show you in the Bible how you can call upon Jesus Christ. If you're saved, but you're not yet part of a body of believers. Some of you are saved. You need to get scripturally baptized. You know you should. And follow Christ. And I, I'll tell you, when you do, boy, things will open up. Things will start moving in your faith. And then membership of the church. I don't know. We've seen some people come and join. And I'm all glad for that. Praise the Lord. And uh, maybe you're here today and you need to do that. Praise the Lord. We'd love to have you in the family here at Parkview. But I tell you what I want to see. Really want to see, I want to see souls, lost people. Come to know Jesus, get scripturally baptized, get discipled, and go on and serve the Lord. Amen, church? Amen. That's what this campaign's all about. That's what, you know, preaching on soul winning's about, to stir us up, everyone, from the pulpit to the pew. It's our job. We're participants in God's great plan of salvation. Let's bow our heads, we would, every head bow.